Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined by Paul Tenorio. MLS is back. Still, it's still back, Paul. And the group stage, as of about an hour ago, is over. Uh, Portland and LAFC closed this thing out. Um, it was weird. It was wacky. It was wild. It was not great in terms of quality of play. Um, all kind of things that we expected. Um, however, quite a few things that we did not expect. Um, Cincinnati, Vancouver, Orlando, Montreal, all advancing to the round of 16. Atlanta, New York Red Bulls, LA Galaxy, all getting smacked around and heading home. Uh, NYCFC barely making it through by the skin of their teeth. Um, it's going to be an interesting round of 16 and an interesting overall knockout stage. Um, but let's just dive right into it since it's so late here. And, and this was, this will be what the majority of the episode is about before we get into some listener questions, but let's just dive right in, Paul. What'd you make of this whole, uh, what'd you make of the whole group stage? Yeah. I mean, I thought like MLS is back was really very, very much MLS is back. And I, and I think, you know, I think it, it, it is exactly what I hoped it would be. It's the MLS upside down, right? Like, I mean, anyone who's covered the league's preseason knows that there are these like kind of wacky results that happen that get fan bases super excited about their teams. And then the reality of a regular season kicks in at some point and those results kind of get thrown out the window. And, th- and that's, I mean, that's what this tournament is, right? It's a preseason tournament and so you had to understand that there were going to be some weird results and there were going to be some crazy things that happened. And I mean, I I half jokingly said that I thought and I hoped Orlando City won it all because it would be like the MLS is back upside down. And that's what's happening. Um, Orlando, like you said, Orlando advanced, Montreal advanced, Vancouver, which played some of the worst soccer in the tournament advanced. Vancouver, um, which played some of the worst soccer in MLS over the last few years, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, and this tournament, w- it was really bad. Um, Cincinnati, we didn't even mention, did we mention Cincinnati advancing? I mean, like, it's crazy. I, I think I did. Uh, I'm it, I'm all on the Cincinnati trade, by the way. You, you're you rooting for Orlando. I think I'm rooting for Cincinnati at this point. Yeah, I mean, rooting's a strong word, but uh, certainly... <laughs> Just admit it, you're rooting for Orlando. I, I mean, like you, I like the you chaos. Did say it. I you enjoy did the say chaos. I said it once. I don't need to say it again. <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm not rooting. I'm just like you know. It's it's making me smile a little bit. How about that? Yeah. So that that's my impression of the group stage. I think also um, probably my biggest impression coming out of this is more on the teams that struggled, where it looks more like a long-term problem. Like, you look at Vancouver, and they advance, and you're like, that's fine, congratulations, but, like, you guys are not good. You know what I mean? Um, Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like, we can look at that and say, these are short-term results. Montreal, I would Montreal, you know. But then you look at some of these other teams, and you say, okay, we can pull some longer-term ideas out. Orlando City, I think they're decent. I think they're decent. I think they're going to be decent beyond this tournament. Atlanta United, I think they're bad. I think they're bad right now. And they've got some big problems, you know. Um, Miami, they they have some holes they have to fill. I know they've been close on a lot of these games, but it shows that this is an expansion roster that has to get filled out. And they they need to solve some of those problems if they want to be competitive. You know, you can pull some of those bigger picture issues out of – this tournament, and I think out of all of those, I think Atlanta United stands out to me as as kind of the the biggest wow of the tournament because they were really bad. I mean, you you mentioned Atlanta, and I don't disagree with you on on your take there, and I'll get back to them in a second. But the LA Galaxy were right there with them, man. Like you talk about really bad. Like the team that they threw out tonight as we record i guess early on friday morning so the team that they threw out on thursday night against the dynamo you know they started nick dupuy at center back and ethan zubach at center forward and this is a team that's supposed to be the flagship of mls has the most titles in league history and and you know chicharito and jonah dos santos two of their three dps are injured so you know take over the grain of salt but that back line is atrocious um, the midfield, at least defensively, has not been very good. Um, they can't keep the ball out of their own net. 
uh, and they have no ideas going forward. And Guillermo Barros Scalotto is sitting there on the sideline, kind of with like a very vacant, eerie, kind of weird-looking thousand-yard stare. Um, and he doesn't seem to have any idea what's going on. And that team was not very good last year, and they seem to be getting worse. So that that's a huge issue, in my opinion. Um, and Atlanta's the same, right? You lose Joseph Martinez, and that's obviously going to mess up your season. But they went through these same exact issues with Frank DeBoer last year when he was trying to implement his own style and his own way and his own system at the beginning of the 2019 season and shift a little bit away from the transition game that was so successful under Tata Martino and led them to MLS Cup in 2018. Um, and try and build a more possession-based game. And it didn't really work that well. And they didn't look like the old Atlanta United. And the players got upset. And you saw Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez and Joseph Martinez start to complain publicly in the media about it. Um, maybe even PT Martinez got in on that action with some Argentine radio hits, perhaps. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> exactly if he did that or not. But Frank DeBoer, to his credit, listened. And he changed. And they started playing more the way that the players wanted to play, and they started getting better results and playing better stuff in the second half of the season. But now we're back to where we were with Atlanta, and they're doing this 3-4-3, and they, they don't have the pieces for it. They got worse over the winter pretty significantly. You know, Gonzalez Perez is gone, replaced by Fernando Meza. Um, that's, you know, you could argue that that's somewhat of a lateral move, certainly more of a lateral move than any of their other replacements have been when you talk about Darlington Nagby or Julian Gressel or Tito Vialba. Um, I feel like I'm missing one here, Paul. Michael Parkhurst is gone as well um, to retirement. Um, they didn't really do a good job of replacing any of those guys. And now they're trying to play this 3-4-3 with, with Mo Adams and Emerson Hindman in the middle. And no disrespect to those guys because I think they're capable players in their own way. But it's it's not... The, the middle of the field is completely vacant for them. Um, they're having to build up through the wings, and that's not really working. And PT and Barco look lost. And I don't know where they go from here. Maybe you shift back to that transition game. You still don't have a striker with Joseph out. Uh, but the more I think about it, the more I look at that body language around around the players with DeBoer, it's pretty clear they're not playing for that guy anymore, in my opinion. And it seems pretty clear to me that they have two huge money mistakes on their roster in PT and Barco. And now, are those salvageable? Perhaps. I would say PT is not salvageable from a financial standpoint. You're not, you're not selling him for anywhere near what you bought him at this point. Maybe Barco can boost his value back up. And both of those guys can make impact on the field um, if, if they get going. But, man, yeah. I mean... It, it, December 2018 feels like a long time ago for Atlanta United. Yeah, there's a lot I agree with you on what you just said. I, first of all, I don't think they bought Pitti with the idea to resell him. I mean, he's had an age at a time when like that yeah, wasn't the fair model. Um, but I would say, like, yeah, if you look at like what you said, Gonzalez Perez is maybe the only player that they replaced with a, a player who was somewhat close to his level. And I, I know Atlanta United fans like to say that Meza is a better player than LGP. I disagree. Um, I spoke to somebody very familiar with both players who <laughs> very adamantly disagreed. Um, but he's the only player that's close, right? And, I mean, you look and at, he's got a good pedigree and he's a decent age. You look so at Nagby. Like, you know, you can, yeah. Nagby replacement. Emerson Hyman, not really a replacement. Played with him. You know, Mo Adams, certainly not a replacement for Darlington Nagby. Trading, you know, Julian Gressel, Brooks Lennon for Julian Gressel, not an upgrade. It's not an upgrade. No, um, it's a downgrade. You know, Tito Vialba, I, I I get that move. You know, I get that move. He wasn't playing. They were trying to play a different formation. He's on decent money. You know, I, I get offloading there, and, and Parkhurst was kind of getting aged out. But they just didn't get better. They did not get better. They And you can talk about moving pieces and needing to move pieces because it's a salary cap league. They did not need to move all of those pieces. They did not need to move all those pieces. And, you know, you look at the money that they gave Heinemann, you look at the the money or, or the move that they did to bring Meza in. It was essentially a swap um, for LGP. Like this wasn't a cap issue all the way around, especially once you sold Vialba. Um, 
Nagby, you know, that was not a necessary, that move could have been avoided. And so like, I just think that there are the big roster problems, but like you said, beyond that, there's clearly a disconnect here between the coaches and the players. And you can read that just in the body language of the players on the field. And there's been rumblings of it around the league. And I think also, you know, talking about the value of Pithy and Barco, you know, do I believe in the right coach that those under the right coach and in the right system that those players can be far more effective than they have been so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think it's an indictment of Frank DeBoer that you lose Joseph Martinez to a torn ACL in the first game of the season. You have four months of a pandemic break to figure out how you're going to play without Joseph Martinez and without a real clear replacement for him. And and what do you come up with? Nothing. There was no solution there to better deploy Pithy or Barco to try to make up for the lack of Joseph Martinez. That's a coaching problem. So, you know, there are there are some real red flags um, in Atlanta. And I, I want to go back to the Galaxy as well. You mentioned them. I think it's some it's an it's a really interesting study of MLS and roster building. I think if you go back and you look at last year, knowing that they had Ibra, prob- they probably had an idea that it was going to be his last year. And you look at some of the moves that were done on that roster last year, they were moves to try to win with Ibra, right? To try to piece that roster together in the short term. Like Antuna was was brought in on a one-year deal. You get the Pavone deal done in the summer window. Alva- Fabio Alvarez... You know, there were things that were kind of felt like short-term moves outside of the Pavone move, which we know, you know, is really a, a very long-term play. Um, but I think, you know, we, we also have to recognize that the the league is still structured, that if you miss on one or two big signings, like you're talking about right now with, with Pithy and Barco, how much it can set you back. And, and for the Galaxy... I think Gonzalez, Giancarlo Gonzalez, uh, Costa Rican center back, being as bad as he's been since arriving in LA, really hurt. It what, hurts, but you really can miss hurt on the rebuild. I mean, I just think it hurts the rebuild. You know, it hurts. You you bring in a guy on a TAM on a multi year guaranteed deal in a really important position, and you don't have depth at that across the back line anyway. Man, it's a crushing blow to have him be so bad. And and then you go into this year's signings and Katai is gone because of his wife's social media post. So that's a miss. So now you've got to try to figure out a way to replace a winger, a starting winger. Chicharito Hernandez gets injured and looked really heavy just from yeah. my eye. Yeah. Um, and hasn't been producing to the level that you'd hope. Um and and now you're starting to say like there are some there are some roster problems here that they're going to have to figure out within like within this group right like i think like gonzalez and chicharito i mean certainly chicharito's not going anywhere for a while so uh, i'm interested to see how they restructure the roster but i i also wonder kind of how skeloto fits in the long term picture for the galaxy yeah cuz to me i'm i'm not worried about chicharito i'm not like yeah, he blew some chances. He should have way more than one goal, which is what his current tally is. But you see it, right? He's got that. The, the one goal he did score was an excellent, excellent run in the box and a nice little finish. Like, he's going to get his goals. Is he going to be an incredible forward in combination play? Is he going to stretch back lines with speed? Like, is he going to be great in the air? Like, no, that's never what he's been. Um, but he's going to do, he's going to continue to be good at what he's been good at his whole career. Uh, I'm not so worried about him. I'm not so worried about their attacking talent. Um, their defensive issues, you documented them pretty well there. Um, those are going to continue to be a problem and I think they're going to prevent them from doing anything that serious in 2020. Um, assuming the 2020 season goes on and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but for me, like, you know, we you talked a lot about the roster. Like, what is Scalotto done here? They have no idea how to play together in the attack. 
It's just cross after cross after cross after cross. They don't break teams down through the middle whatsoever, and they they don't really have any idea how to move. They don't. There's no patterns. There's nothing, right? You watch LAFC, and like you're like, oh wow, this resembles soccer. Like cohesive. It's really good movement. A lot of fast players. A lot of technical players, and and they all know what to do when they're on the ball. Like it's a pretty free flowing creative system, but but it looks like they played together more than one time the galaxy it's just like all right let's get it wide and hope like that's their strategy and that's not good enough um and that brings me to kind of my bigger question here paul which is like you know you mentioned you mentioned how a lot of the moves were structured for winning with zlatan right short-term moves and that sort of thing well when you're at a club like the galaxy or at atlanta like that's how you structure all of your deals right because every year the window is open and every year you have that pressure to move or pressure to win. Excuse me. Uh, knowing that, can you go forward with DeBoer and Barros Scalotto as head coaches? I mean, not not to overreact to what's happened here in Orlando, but I think just look at the body of work for both of these guys. And, and saying Atlanta was good in the second half of last year and had a pretty strong overall season. Um, but if you look at kind of the overall body of work and the trend – can you go forward with either of them as head coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I never, I tried as a policy not to um, call for a coach's head. I think that there are clearly problems between player and coach communication and system of play. There are coach, there are issues there that that need to get figured out. I, I think the you know. What we know, especially in Atlanta, is that those issues have have spilled out into the public eye, and that's not great. Um, so I I feel like that's that's coming to a head sooner than later. The Scalotto one's interesting because, you know, when when he came to LA in the lead up to that hire. he had been in consideration for a couple other jobs, so there were people in MLS that had been doing kind of scouting reports on him and, and figuring things out about Scalotto and what was being said about him. And the book on Scalotto was that, you know, he was not really a, a, a coach who had built his success on tactics and on um, the type of soccer style of soccer his teams played or any of that. Um, he was very much more known as kind of a locker room guy, did well to galvanize the group. And um, that's what really was his secret. Um, which actually kind of tracked with what, you know, Bruce Arena was was known for. Though I would say, like, the other flip side is Bruce Arena, as he's showing in New England, is very, very good at building MLS rosters and putting teams together that have great chemistry and work well together. Like, he's got a really good eye for that. Um, and so I'm not surprised that the Galaxy's soccer isn't that great. The problem is I'm not sure that this is a super tight group either. I don't know that there is that... Um, that locker room camaraderie or the 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 love between coaches and players that that he had in, in Argentina. So, um, yeah, I mean, certainly, I think there are legitimate questions to be asked of both big name coaches in two really marquee clubs. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're eventually going to talk about some positive stories at some point tonight. Um, but one more team I wanted to, to talk about before we do that, uh, one more disappointment, is the New York Red Bulls. Uh, New York went out. They won their first game against Atlanta. Uh, they followed that up with losses to Columbus and Cincinnati in the finale. Uh, and they will not be advancing into the round of 16. And the loss to Cincinnati was, was really, really instructive. Um, you know, I wrote and I talked and I tweeted after the Atlanta game about the Red Bulls and how I really enjoyed what they do, basically. Um, and some Red Bulls fans got mad at me for the way I said it. Um, but basically, I was like, you know, this is a team of hard-nosed, undervalued, underappreciated college players is the term I used um, that don't really, don't really keep the ball. They don't play possession soccer, uh, but they run around like 
maniacs. They get into 10 car crashes on the field of game. Uh, they press the the ever-loving crap out of every opponent, and they create chances through turning teams over in their own third, um, and they try and punish quickly. Uh, and that works against a team like Atlanta that wants to keep the ball, right, and wasn't very good at it in that game. Columbus broke them down because Columbus is a lot better at that right now at breaking that press than Atlanta was and the Red Bulls weren't as fresh. And then Cincinnati just refused to have the ball completely refused to have it. Yop Stom credit to him, by the way, this is not a good roster. He tried to go toe to toe with Columbus, got smashed for nothing and then decided, all right, I'm just going to put nine, 10 guys behind the ball at all times and just invite teams forward and see if they can break me down. And Atlanta got a red card early in their match. Uh, and, they couldn't do it, um, and the Red Bulls certainly couldn't do it. And since he scored one goal against Atlanta and two against New York, and that was enough to get him through with six points. Um, so credit to Yopstam for not trying to fit square pegs into round holes. Maybe he could talk to his old center back partner in, in, from Holland, DeBoer, about about doing that in Atlanta. But the Red Bulls had no idea what to do with the ball when the other team dared him to have it and to break him down. And this is not a new problem for them, but that was maybe the worst it ever looked, at least in an, in an elimination game, so to speak. Um, and that's not a surprise because their roster is in, in a place right now that, you know, frankly, it hasn't been in almost a decade in terms of attacking talent. Is, is that fair to say, do you think? Yeah, I think so. You know, so like they, they just simply do not have the horses up there. Kaku doesn't look great because there isn't much around him. Danny Royer is a good player, but you know, when it's Flo Velo is your, and Flo Velo is a decent player too, but when he's your second best attacker, which I think he sort of is right now, uh, that's not good enough. And we'll get, we'll get more on this in, in the mailbag portion of the show, but I just don't understand their organizational philosophy. Like I do, but I don't. And uh, it's disappointing for a team in the New York market to behave in the way that they do. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, we've talked about this before. I Obviously, the whole Red Bull system is built on counter-pressing. You, you play against the ball instead of with the ball. And I think that does well in MLS because it can paper over some deficiencies on the ball, like the, the technical a- side of things. Any league it can. Yeah. yeah, sure. But I think, you know, in most European leagues, there's not – there are enough technical players to go around, right? That that sure. there's a certain level of technical skill. And it, it, what it's done is it's allowed the Red Bulls to be successful without spending a ton of money. But part of the reason that that happened is because some of these homegrown players and and USL players far outperformed their value, right? And yeah. so and we're Bradley Wright Phillips too. And, and Bradley Wright Phillips, right? So you've got a guy who's scoring 25 goals a year up top for a million dollars, okay? That is a that is a great great contract to have. I mean, far less than that for a while too. <laughs> right. You've got Tyler Adams on a homegrown deal, so well below his valuation as a 4 or 5 million dollar player. You've got Aaron Long coming off, coming up from USL, being paid well below his value. Michael Murillo, when he originally is brought in, well, so so this shows that it can be done, and then the expectation is for that budget to be done that way. But really, what that signified was you just had guys really outperforming their deals for a year or two, and what we've seen in the kind of fallout sense is that. These players have left and there's not really any replacements that have come in that have been nearly as good or nearly as good for the budget, right? Like compared to their budget numbers. Yeah, they, not as much bang for the buck. And, and that's where the struggles have been there for the Red Bulls. And so you, you get – there is a, a level of disappointment for a New York team to be so – conservative on the international market, especially considering the scouting infrastructure of Red Bull, um, the, the way that they approach the transfer market in other in other cities that where they have clubs, um, the fact that they have a team in Brazil and, and they have the, the global resources for scouting that should help 
Red Bull New York, fine talent that can outperform its budget numbers. All of those things matter. And yet, you know, we watch this team that's that's really not great at much. You know, they're and they're not fun to watch. And um, I think that I actually we, do think they're fun to watch. I, I don't, but that's, I don't. That's, I but hate. that's a matter. That's a matter of opinion. But like, I, I, I don't know. This is going to sound kind of snotty, but when you when you compare this Red Bull team to the Red Bull team of a couple years ago under Jesse Marsh, or the Red Bull team in Salzburg under Jesse Marsh now, that team plays really good soccer. Yeah, there's there's no Erling Haaland or Minamino. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that team still played really good. You can play good soccer and press. It, it's not mutually yeah. exclusive. No, it, by the way, this Red Bull team is capable of doing that. It, like, are they going to do it as often as those old Red Bull teams that have more talent? No, but they're capable of it. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. But yeah, I, I would say that... Part of the disappointment is just that we expect more. We expect more of that of that club, especially over the last few years. And and I think especially because they're part of the Red Bull family. And I measure them based on what Leipzig is doing. And even though Salzburg is not officially a part of Red Bull, you know what Salzburg is doing. Yeah, you know, they are. Yeah. Um, so that that to me is the disappointment there. Yeah, and then there's the New York element. They're one of the lowest spending teams in the entire league. They actively don't try and sign big name players. They don't really market themselves that heavily. Um and that's disappointing for a whole lot of other reasons. Um but we can get into that a little bit more later. Before we we do that, let's let's transition. Let's talk some positives. I thought Columbus really stood out. Um, in this tournament, I thought Seattle, after some initial struggles, turned a corner and looked pretty good by the end. Um, I thought Orlando were surprisingly very good. You mentioned that off the top. I thought Philly was decent. Um, and LAFC remain, in my opinion, even though they didn't win the group, uh, the best team in the league, um, in my opinion, by a pretty wide margin. Um, there are some flaws on that team, and there are some defensive issues, but 11 goals in three games without Carlos Vela is pretty damn good. Um, and then Portland, another team that, you know, it's not always or even usually pretty with the Timbers. And I personally have a problem with that because I think they, with the players that they have, they should be playing a lot prettier. <laughs> um, but they get results, and, and they won the group with the Galaxy and LAFC in Houston, so can't argue with that. Um who who impressed you here in this tournament, Paul? Yeah, I think for me, Columbus has been the best team in the tournament so far, just in this, the total soccer that they're playing. And I think LAFC's defensive issues kind of put them second in the tournament so far, just in how they've performed. Are they the best roster and the best team in the tournament? Yes, I think without question. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to Seattle, considering how many Me goals either. they've been giving up, right? I mean, I, I could and, see... And the Sounders the Sounders are the ultimate tournament team, and LAFC are not that at all. Right. So, so I mean, I could see Seattle winning that game. Um, I think Columbus will beat Minnesota. Uh, Adrian Heath can use that on his bulletin board. You, you want to you wanna go through the whole bracket here while we're at it? Oh, yeah. I'm ready to go. I, I've got all my right. picks. Okay. All right. So, you already mentioned your two. Seattle. Are you picking Seattle? I'm... Uh, yeah, I am. I'm picking Seattle for the upset, yeah. Okay, all right. I like that. So, Orlando, look, you, you picked Columbus. We can start on Columbus's side. So, we got Columbus and Minnesota. You picked Columbus. I'll, I'll agree with you. And Adrian Heath is already playing the Nobody Believes in Us card. Um, he's ridiculous, the way he treats the media. <laughs> I, I kind of love it, but it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> like, come on. You're playing the Nobody Believes in Us. Like, anyway, it's funny. Um, we both think Columbus is going to beat Adrian Heath in Minnesota. The winner of that will play um, the winner of RSL and San Jose. San Jose, I don't believe I mentioned, but they've also been an impressive team in this tournament. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna re- mention them at some point. I, I think San Jose has been been very good. Um, their system's a lot of fun to watch. They do it well. They're fully bought in on it. I think it's great. That's yeah. a team, also, by the way, where like we talk about. Scalotto earlier being known to like invigorate a locker room and all that. Almeida has done that in San Jose without question. Oh I gosh. mean, that group like, I'm, looks I'm super fairly tight. certain Tommy Thompson would kill a man if Matias Almeida told him. <laughs> no that. doubt. You know, he would, he would use, you know, the, the freaking Jedi ninja 
samurai is the word you're looking for. Sam, thank, you, thank you. Samurai values of Matias Almeida to do it. Uh, I, I have San Jose winning that game against Salt Lake. Uh, I do too, but I would not be surprised if Salt Lake went out one for nothing. The Quakes are kind of insane. So, um, But I do like the Quakes. I don't think that's a very talented team. Um, it's largely the same roster that was dreadful in 2018, but Almeida came in. They do this weird man-marking system that no one else in the league and very few teams even in the world use. Um, and it's hard to get used to. And the way that they're playing right now and the attitude that they have and kind of this joy and like intensity that they take the field with every time. I think it's really well suited to a tournament format. Yes. I don't know how well suited it is to a regular season. You know that we saw that down the stretch last year when they absolutely collapsed to miss the playoffs in the final six games. I think they lost all of them. <laughs> um, but in a tournament, and when a team's on a come up and still hungry and still fighting for coach like they are, um, who's to say they can't make some noise, man? So well, I'm, here's I'm, another here's I'm, another I'm reason with you why. Yeah, here's another reason. I, you know, talking to a couple different teams that a couple of different people that were scouting San Jose and have been watching, obviously the tournament. You know, that's a, a they they think San Jose the system is is really well set up for a tournament because part of what makes you know. The man marking system is super unique when you play it the first time. When you get a chance to play it, you start to figure out how to beat it. And we saw that I think when you have a team good enough to break that break that man marking system, find the open man, beat uh, beat your guy off the dribble, and and start to exploit the space. That's when San Jose gets into trouble. And in this tournament, you're never going to face someone twice. So it sets up really well for them um, because no team really has time to react and adjust um, to that system. So I, I think they're set up well in this tournament, um, but you're right. I think also it kind of calls back to what we were talking about with Red Bulls. Almeida is getting some players to outperform their, their value and their yeah, he's ability. Getting more than the he's getting the more than the sum of the parts. And that's a sign of a, of a really good coach. Now they, that can only take you so far. This is a team. The team didn't make the playoffs last year, you know? And, and so I'm always careful. Like, I think Almeida did a good job last year, but people were talking about him, you know, as a coach of the year and all this and all that, and they didn't make the playoffs. So very good coach. I like what he's done in San Jose with a very bad roster. Um, But if you want to take advantage of Almeida being in San Jose at a certain point, give him the tools to work with. You know, give them the tools. And I, I think that, you know, this next window at the end of this season, that January window going into 2021 is crucial because they'll they'll turn over a lot of the roster. A lot of the big contracts are coming out for, for San Jose. Just- yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how long Almeida sticks around because I think he'll be a wanted commodity in Mexico where he's had success, maybe in Argentina, maybe elsewhere around MLS. So if they don't go out and spend that money, maybe Matias says peace. Um, moving on up, you, we talked about Seattle and LAFC. You made your prediction already. What's, uh, what's your rationale there though? It's MLS is back. There are going to be upsets. Seattle played LAFC really well in the playoffs last year when LAFC was having uh, some defensive issues here and there. I think we see that they are still, they play this wide open style. It's so much fun to watch. It's really great soccer. Um, but they can be they they can be exploited on the back end, and I think Seattle has the players where if you give them those couple chances a game with Jordan Morris and Rui Diaz and Ladero, those types of players, um, Jordan Morris especially on the counter on the break and how good he's been, I, I think they're capable of of putting those chances away. So I I kind of like was looking through this thing and I was like, all right, where are the upset picks? I've got to, I can't just go chalk here because it's MLS. So that that I'm not gonna lie, that factored into. Okay, uh, you kind of have talked me into Seattle, but uh, taking the other side of the equation, you mentioned LAFC's backline. Seattle's backline has not been great in this tournament either. Xavier Arriaga had some real difficulties, uh, particularly against Chicago. Um, so they've been prone to their own mistakes. Uh, we'll see if, if they do that against LAFC, they're going to get punished and they're going to concede. Having said that, I think the Sounders are very uniquely set up for tournament play. They have a great player in Rui Diaz, a great player in Ladero, someone who's turning into a great player 
and Jordan Morris. Um, and they have maybe the best goalkeeper in the entire league in Stefan Fry. And when you have three great attackers, like I mentioned, and a great goalkeeper, that can take you a long way in a single elimination format. Um, and I kind of like the Sounders too. They have the formula. And if LAFC are going to get as gappy as they did against the Timbers um, and against the Galaxy and against the Dynamo, the Sounders are going to score goals. So, okay, I'll take the Sounders too, who will play the winner of Orlando and Montreal. And we haven't talked about Orlando much, so let's talk a little bit about Orlando and their run in this journey. Yeah, I mean, got to give a shout out to the Big Ten, Big Ten zone, Chris Mueller, who I think, you know, is a good player. He's He's become more efficient in the final third for sure. And, um, you know, works his butt off is kind of the prototypical American player in that sense. Um, Nani, I think has been continued to be a really good DP signing. Um, yeah. Impacts Nani the game. Nani to me is a story. Yeah. He, he impacts every single game. He, um, he is a clearly kind of the go-to leader of this team and, you know, still the best player on the field for them. And, you know, I, I I like Pereira as well as well in the middle of the of the middle of the field. I think he's done a really nice job. Um, the Uruguayan junior Urso, I like him too. Honestly, um, he got injured in their last group stage game, so we'll see what his availability is like. But I think he's been a pretty solid signing for him. Yeah, the the most interesting thing is they play good soccer. They're playing good soccer. I mean, that's the for me that's what stands out. Um, they're bought in on what Oscar Pereira wants them to do. They're kind of they're playing together. They they seem to understand the system, and they've got guys who are finishing their chances. I think they, you know, I don't want to say that they're a championship contender. I think they still have some significant work to do on the roster. Um, but I think in this tournament, with a little bit of momentum that they're feeling, they're feeling good about themselves. You know, that either means they're going to get they're going to be the the upset, the clear upset that I should be picking. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to take them to beat Montreal because I think Montreal has been very not good. Yeah, I agree. Montreal got here by beating DC United 1-0 in one of the most miserable games of soccer I can remember seeing, um, in quite some time. That game was bad all the way around. Uh, Thierry Henry is still very much figuring that out. It feels like he changes things every half. Um, I, they have some good players, you know, Victor Wanyama, good player, Ty Dare, good player, uh, I like Sam Piet. Um, Romel Kyoto has done some nice things for them. Um, so th- they have some talent on that team. It's not like they're bereft, but uh, Thierry needs to figure it out. Um, and they don't they don't have that consistency yet. And it takes time for any new coach. Um, so I'll, I'll rock with Orlando with you. Um, Sam then, Piet. Uh, Sam Piet, the butcher of Quebec. Uh, wow, dude. Take that back. The butcher of... <sighs> my goodness. I will not stand for slander of of Leituk on this show. Leituk tucking you? in his shirt. You think that's slander? Come on, that's what he um, is. I mean, you called him a butcher. <laughs> How is it not? He's a butcher. How is that not slander? I speak the truth because it's sl- slander. It can't be slander if it's the truth. All right, an insult then. Sure, you're you're degrading him, <laughs> and I don't like it. <laughs> Speaking of degrading, <laughs> FC Cincinnati are playing the Portland Timbers. <laughs> um, I already mentioned FC Cincinnati. I talked a little bit about Yapstam. Um, I admire what he's done. It's amazing that they've shut out two straight opponents and gotten six points. Um, I believe that's the first time they've won back-to-back games in MLS history. Yapstam has managed three games for the club. And he already has the second most MLS wins of any coach in team history. And he is one off tying for first uh, with three. So he could get there. Uh, He could get there very, very soon (laughs) um, against the Portland Timbers. I don't think he's going to. Um, The Timbers, you know, they haven't been great. The game against Houston was kind of dreadful. Um, The game against LAFC, they were very much second best against LAFC, in my opinion. Um, even the game against the Galaxy was a little bit touch and go for them. Um, but if there's one thing this team has shown, it's that they keep pretty organized. Uh, they have a pretty strong defensive shape. They're difficult to break down. Um, and they certainly have a lot of attacking talent if they don't necessarily have a lot of attacking cohesion. 
Um, and Sebastian Blanco, I don't think he was great against LAFC, but he was very good in the first two games. Um, I expect he'll be very good again. Um, and if you're talking about breaking down banks of defenders that FC Cincinnati is going to roll out there, uh, Blanco and Valeri are two pretty damn good guys to have on your team. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. I'm taking Portland. Yeah. All right. Other side, um, you know, the, Portland would advance. They would play the winner of Toronto and NYCFC. Uh, I like Toronto on that one personally. Yeah, NYCFC has been disappointing. They snuck in um, based on. I'm other actually going to argue a little bit with you there. I, I just don't think they've been that great. And when I, and they Toronto. Toronto, on the other hand, look, they haven't, they weren't great early on. I think they've gotten better. I mean, they, I'm not saying they weren't good. I know they got the result. They, they played, they, they, they won their game big. I don't think they looked like their best. However, I think that they've improved. They got Josie Altador back. They're, they're starting to kind of get into a rhythm. I actually expect Toronto FC. I, I would not be surprised. You're going to pick a Toronto Seattle final, aren't you? Uh, why you why are you trying to go ahead of my picks here? <laughs> I just see it. I just see it coming. You're you're gonna you said you weren't gonna go chalk and you're going the ultimate chalk pick. I'm not going the it's the ultimate upside down because it's like the worst case scenario beyond like a you know Cincinnati Vancouver final is another <laughs> Toronto Seattle final. So I had to choose between the two for my upside down. Okay. I, I chose the latter. But you you didn't let me build to the moment. You see what you I'm did sorry. there? We can edit this part out. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine, Sam. Yes, I'm taking Toronto I'm to win. And I think they're going to roll. I think they're going to roll. I think we're going to start to see Toronto playing their best soccer in the in the knockouts. So, NYCFC have not had good results. But they have created a bunch of chances in some of these games. Particularly in their second one, which I, for some reason, cannot remember if it was against Orlando or Philadelphia. Um, no, Philadelphia was the first. I think Orlando was the second. It doesn't matter. They created, yeah, I believe against Orlando. They created a ton of chances. They ended up losing three to one. Um, they haven't been finishing, and they're still definitely figuring out under Ronnie Dela. You know, it's a little bit more structured in terms of what he wants. Dome Torrent gave them a lot of freedom in the attack. You know, a lot of times they were defending with just five guys. Um, and, and four or five would just kind of stay up and, and, and play forward, basically. Um, that's different now. Uh, it's more organized. It's more structured. Um, he's a little bit more demanding and strict with what he wants. Um, but they've created chances. And Toronto have given chances up. Um, and Omar Gonzalez has looked vulnerable, I think, a lot uh, in this tournament. Um, and if NYCFC can finish, uh, then we might have a nice little ball game, particularly if Maxi Morales can come back, um, you know, from injury. So we'll see there. He, it looks like he's recovering faster than they initially anticipated. So I think there's, there's a chance of that. Um, that game is on Sunday night, I believe. Uh, and I think it should be a pretty good one. Rematch of a playoff game last year as well. Who, who are you taking? Um, I said, I'm taking Toronto. Okay. I'm with you, TFC. Um, but I do think NYCFC are, are closer than people realize. Um, last two in the round of 16, SKC and Vancouver and Philly and New England. I think we can both pick SKC pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Vancouver, not good. Credit to them for beating Chicago 2-0 today, but they got outshot 25-4 to and had no business winning that game. Um, and their roster is completely decimated uh, by injury and absence. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a bridge too far against Kansas city who has been decent, I would say in this tournament, but has a lot of talent and Pulido has looked good. Um, the other one, new England and Philly, I think this will be a pretty good game. First game of the knockout round. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Toughest game for me to predict. I actually don't know which way this game is going to go. I have made legitimate arguments of it going either way. In the end, I'm going to go with new England. I'm going to give Bruce arena, the tournament experience and the I think it counts as an upset. So again, my little chalk, not chalk theory here. I got to pick an upset, <laughs> and like my upset picks aren't you know the most surprising, but they still count as upset picks. So I'm taking New England. Okay, I don't think Carly Seal is going to play, so I'm going to just go ahead and pick Philly, who have been pretty solid in this tournament. Um, I like Brendan Aronson. Uh, I like Jamiro Montero a lot. 
um, Casper Prisbilko, you know, he's, he's probably like never even going to sniff the Polish national team, but he kind of looks like Marco Van Basten in MLS. Um, I like what Philly has going on. I, I think Jim Curtin has done a really good job there. I think Ernst Tanner has an argument for best GM in the league, to be totally honest with you, considering what they've done on the budget that he has. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm rocking with the union, particularly since I'm not convinced that heel is going to play. Um, so I think we can move quickly here through the rest of the picks. Um, and we'll just start where we finished, uh, Philly slash new England versus SKC. Who do you have advancing to that semi? Uh, SKC. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pick Philly. There we go. I'm a union man, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> We both have Toronto. We both have Portland. Who you got in that? Uh, well, you have Toronto. I'm taking Toronto. I like them to continue uh, building. Building. That's what they're doing. All right. Well, I'm going to be. I'm going to be different than you. I'm taking the Timbers. And let's just let's just pick the semi here. I have Timbers Union. Uh, I'm picking the Union because that's what I picked. I picked them to get to get to the final before the tournament even started. So there you go, Union. I have Toronto, New England. I'm taking Toronto. TFC. Or I had, right. no, I had Toronto's SKC. Yeah. I'm taking Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a tough matchup for Toronto. But I'm, I I got to stick with the upside down. I'm going Toronto. You're, you're an SKC, Homer. Just admit it. Um, other side of the bracket, we have we both have Orlando. Um, we both have Seattle. Uh, who you got in that one? I'm taking the Sounders. I, Orlando has done a really nice job. Credit to Pereja. But if Seattle beats LAFC... You know they're gonna they're gonna be Orlando as well. I agree with you. I'm also gonna have a huge upset here though, and I'm gonna change my initial pick from Seattle to LAFC. <laughs> Is that allowed? What? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Why not? All right, you can do it. You can do it right now. Go All ahead. Right. Tell me why. Uh, if I I just uh, LAFC is gonna outscore them. Like it's that simple. It's gonna be a shootout, and LAFC are gonna win it. There you go. Is that stupid? I don't know, but I'm, I'm picking LAFC to win. Bob is going to be mad about this game after after what happened last last fall in the playoffs uh, between him and Schmetzer <laughs> and his reaction, which was petulant and not the greatest um, in terms of sportsmanship, I think it's fair to say. Um, but he's not going to let them lose that game. LAFC is going to beat Seattle, and they are also going to beat Orlando. Um, there you go. We both have the Quakes. We both have Columbus. Who you got in that one? Definitely Columbus. Um, I'm going Quakes. I know you upset. were going to say that. I knew you were going to say upset. that. Upset. <laughs> it's a cup set. MLS's back cup. cup it's set. a Quake set. The Goonies riding again, man. All right, so I have San Jose LAFC. I'm rocking with LAFC, sticking with my pre-tournament prediction of an LAFC Philly final. Oh, that's why you didn't. Now I see it's, why you switched. It's part of the reason. I know I see why you switched. <laughs> well, you know I got Seattle. Toronto, Seattle. Let's sell it again, baby. Guys, it's still worth tuning in. These are clearly the two best teams. Every reason in the world. Fa- it might it might be because it's two ten in the morning on the East Coast as we're recording this, but I'm falling asleep listening to you describe that, Paul. <laughs> MLS is back, baby. <laughs> MLS is back. And let's take a quick breather, and then we're going to finish up with a few questions out of this mailbag. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So I would just like to note that uh, Paul and Sam said I could be on the show today. They invited me. Then they put me on hold. They said they would get to me soon. And now 45 minutes in, they are getting to me to do the ad read, and they're saying that's all I'm allowed to do, and then it has to go back to them. So my contribution for today's episode of Allocation Disorder is to let you know that it is sponsored by Fubo. Fubo has become an absolutely essential streaming service in my house. I'm guessing Daryl's house as well, because when you have to watch a lot of games, you get to watch a lot of games, I should say. It can be difficult to watch them all at once. Fubo, especially with the family plan, has up to 500 hours of DVR storage. Uh, if you've maybe started a game and you realize there's another game happening, you can record that one. Even if it's like 30 minutes in, it will record the whole thing. I've said that before, but it still blows my mind because technology and science are wonderful. 
We should know these are uh, tough times, obviously, in the country. Uh, if you want to save money, $50 for Fubo is more affordable than for many other cable providers. Uh, and we really do swear by Fubo. It makes it so much easier to watch all the soccer, but then to keep up to date with all your favorite shows. I have lots of 90 Day Fiance uh, in, in the DVR. I'm assuming uh, that it's my wife's contribution. Uh, with the Premier League's comeback, Fubo TV will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite leagues as well as local broadcast news by going to fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial, you will not regret it. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. I wanted to help answer some mailbag questions. I had thoughts on MLS's back, but I do still have thoughts. No, okay, Paul and Sam uh, are, are going to put me back on hold, it sounds like. They've enjoyed their break, and now they're going to get back to answering some questions. So I guess I'll just have to be silent now. We are back. Classic 45-minute into the show break. We're very polished here at Allocation Disorder. We're going to answer a few questions. Um, that we got today on Twitter that we solicited and received. Thank you for those, by the way. Um, first one, and we got this from a, a number of people um, in so many words, but what is the schedule going to look like once this all ends, Paul? Well, MLS insists that they're going to play probably 16 games coming out of this tournament. 18, according or, to Gary Smith, there we go. the Eight, head coach. We, I've heard between 16 and 20 games Varying sources have said either 16, 18, or 20, so either 8, 9, or 10, home and home in the home markets. Um, But no one has addressed the biggest problems here, which is what happens to the Canadian teams. Uh, How are they going to be able to play a a full regular season or a regular season of of 18 or 20 games um, considering the travel restrictions? And and until we get those types of questions answered, I think it'll be – It'll be really interesting to see how MLS puts this together. Well, Paul, I think I can provide a little bit of clarity there. I was talking to a source with one of the Canadian teams earlier tonight, and that source was telling me, well, that Canadian team is looking at American cities to go live and play and base their operations in for a couple of months in the summer and the fall. Um, Anyone that's following the situation already knows the, the Blue Jays tried to petition the government to get clearance and get an exemption from the quarantine rule up in Canada that requires anyone that's crossing the border to quarantine for 14 days. Obviously, that rule prevents pro sports from really happening. Um, they tried to get an exemption and they were denied. So they're looking for a home to play their MLB games in the States. Um, and the MLS teams, from what I understand, are doing the same. Um, maybe that changes over the next month or so before MLS comes back. They're trying to come back in roughly a month, kind of towards the end of August. Um, but for now, the Canadian teams, from what I've been told, they're sort of operating under the assumption that they're going to have to base their operations out of the U S we'll see what that looks like. There are a ton of moving parts there. Um, you know, maybe you have Buffalo FC, maybe you have Ann Arbor FC, maybe you have, uh, the Amherst impact or the port, the Portland, Maine impact. We could have two Portlands in the league, Paul, that'd be exciting. Um, and you know, the Seattle Whitecaps, I don't know, we'll figure it out, but it's (laughs) 2020 is never ending. Um, and the issues are, are always, they, they keep on a coming. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, quarantines between States, how that shakes out. That's another question that needs to be answered. I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue. I think the American government will probably be more willing to give exemptions, um, but there's going to be a lot of testing. It's probably going to be all charter flights, maybe day of travel in and out. Um, no hotel stays. So we'll see. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky though. Um, other questions. Uh, Paul, what's the issue with DC United? Ooh, um, I don't know, man. I think there's a lot of issues there for, for one, you know, they they took out what kind of were the two biggest pieces of that roster um, from the success that DC United had. They're gone, right? I mean, those two players, Rooney and Acosta, are both gone. And and, and another one, by the way, Ariola, who was probably more important to DC yeah. last year than Acosta was. Yeah, so you, you take out those types of players and the replacements, again, haven't really been there, right? Yamil Assad... Decent little player a few years ago, not great. Uh, Iguain still working into shape. Um, Edison but, Flores, you know, he's he's you know Edison Flores again. You know I I'm gonna give him time. I I understand that like 
you know, these players are going to need these transitional, especially this year where they're, they're coming to this country. They've been here for a couple months and then the world gets upended. But I just feel like, you know, overall this roster still just has some holes. You know, I think I look up top and, and I don't know. I just don't know if Ola Kamara can be that guy anymore. Like, and, and and we know DC United isn't sure either, right? Because there were reports that they were looking for a number nine. I think that's a, I think they have to find somebody to be the go-to goal scorer. I think they need to find a winger that can add something um, as well. So I, what's wrong with them? I just think the roster is not all the way there yet. I think the roster is – it's not all the way there, but it's not bad. They have some good pieces there. Flores needs to – he needs to find his way. I think I disagree with you on Ola Kamara. I think he scored at a high rate at every one of his stops in every single one of his years in MLS. And if he gets good service, he will put the ball in the back of the net. I firmly believe that. Um, and I think they have the pieces to get him some good service. It did not click for them in Orlando, even a little bit. That performance against Montreal was awful. I cannot overstate understate, overstate that. I can't. I can't say it loud enough. Shout it from a mountain. It's terrible. They're starting Felipe in an attacking role. It made me want to claw my eyes out. It's really bad. Um, and I think Ben Olsen, you know, judging by his post-game press conference, he wasn't exactly the happiest camper after that game. Um, but for me, the big question with DC is what do they want to be? What does this club want to be? Where are they going? They opened up Audi Field. They went and spent a bunch of money to get Wayne Rooney. They generated some real excitement in the second half of 2018 in DC. And captured that market in a way that they hadn't in twenty or so years. Is that fair to say, Paul? Like, yeah. and it felt yeah. like there was some real momentum there. And then twenty nineteen hits, and Rooney's not as good. Acosta disappears. The interest kind of dries up, and they're same old DC, where they're kind of middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. They make the playoffs, and they lose in the first round. Like yeah. just kind of I mean, the same story every year. And, and the names, the names that are getting connected to them are all big names. And there's only a few Roonies out there. You know what I mean? You can't, not every old aging star is going to be Wayne Rooney. They're not going to sell the jerseys. They're not going to be mm-hmm. the star power. They're not going to have the impact. So you have to be and, really and, careful. And even, and even if they are, that sort of effect wears off every time you do it. Yeah. Right. The first time you do it, it's super exciting. The second time you do it. Okay. They've done this before. A little less exciting. Right. Um, so what do they want to be? They have this, they have this shiny new stadium in DC. Do they want to fill that up with fans and start spending money in the way a contender needs to, or are they content to, to just kind of be what they have been? And that's like a fourth or fifth seed and losing in the knockout round of the playoffs. Like, cause if they're content with that, then keep on keeping yeah. what you're, keep on doing what you're doing, I guess. It'll be like, interesting. Oh. Cause when I interviewed Steve Kaplan a few years back, uh, MLS ahead of the MLS cup in 2018, you know, he was a new owner and he was saying, look, I believe that this is a, a moment in time for MLS to start spending more. So, Hey, you know, they you can spend, start with your team. on Flores, but, but not in a way that's unusual, right? A lot of teams are spending that kind of money now. So, uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what DC is trying to do, to be. I don't know what they want to do. Um, but it seems pretty clear with Olsen and with the spend that they're at, like what the ceiling is. And that's not MLS Cup. That's not winning trophies. So I don't know. It's a, it's a confusing one. Um, there was another question in here, and I'm, I'm trying to find it. <laughs> it, was, it was about the Red Bulls, and I, I promised that we would get back to this. So let's get back to it. And this is from Brendan Myers. Does the showing in Orlando force the Red Bulls front office to change the approach to roster construction? Royer and Kaku need an outlet up top to maximize their talents. Some of the young guys show promise, but they need to buy players who can make an immediate impact up top. Your thoughts? Well, I think it'll be interesting how, I mean, they made some changes in the front office, right? They made some changes in the front office in this offseason. They haven't really had a normal window yet to, for us to see what that's going to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have no clue what the summer window is going to look like. Do I think it should change the approach? No. Absolutely, it should change the approach of how Red Bull goes about putting together its rosters. Will it? I don't know. 
I mean, you'd think logically that you would see the trajectory of this club right now and say, yeah, you need to inject some players right away to turn things around. But, you know, if you feel like you are you can win without spending a ton of money, then typically owners will push for that method. We see it in MLS all the time. Here's my short take on the Red Bulls. It's probably not going to be that short. They tried to capture the New York market with the big star players, Thierry Henry, Rafa Marquez, Tim Cahill, uh, roughly a decade ago. And it didn't really work. They didn't make a dent. They didn't draw people out to Red Bull Arena. Uh, they were decent on the field. They won the shield with, with Cahill and Thierry in 2013. Um, and so so they had decent results, but they were spending a ton of money, and it wasn't they weren't getting good return in ter- on the business side in terms of what they were drawing in. They shifted away from that. They brought in Ali Curtis and Jesse Marsh. Um, Thierry Henry went out the door, you know, and it was the Bradley Red Phillips, Sasha Kleshton, Dax McCarty, Luis Robles show. And they won another supporter shield, right? And they said, huh, maybe we can do this on a budget and our big spending ways aren't bring selling tickets anyway. So if we can get the same results with spending half the money, why don't we just go ahead and do that? And they did that. And as you you were talking about earlier, Paul, you know, they, they kept spending less and less and they kept getting good results and better results. And what, what year was it? Was it 2018 they set the all-time record for points? Or was that 17? I, I can't even remember. Yeah, I think 18. Um, yeah, 18. And, and so they, they were doing well. Everything was moving along. And then, as you mentioned, they got rid of a lot of guys and they didn't replace them. And the academy pipeline has apparently dried up a little bit and they don't have anyone waiting in the wings to, to sort of take that mantle. And now they're not very good. And the pressing maybe can paper over some issues. Um, but fact of the matter is they're starting Tom Barlow or Brian White as a striker. They're, you know, against Cincinnati, they're launching cross after cross into the box for Omir Fernandez, who, you know, no disrespect, but he's not a guy just considering his stature that you want to be aiming for in that way. Um, and the, the roster's not good enough. It's not. And, you know, maybe the approach of signing big name DPs isn't going to be working in the market no matter what, but just from a purely sporting level, this isn't good enough. And for a New York team, I mean, for MLS to succeed in the way it wants to succeed, it needs at least one, preferably both of its New York teams to actually like kind of matter. Um, and they don't at all, either of them, um, despite the fact that they've both been pretty good on the field. Uh, they don't matter at all in the market, and they just sort of feel feel like cogs in a in a wheel of of a global football conglomerate. Um, and that's not good enough for the league, and that's not good enough for the sport in this country. And I don't really get it. Um, but right now, it feels like Red Bull is just it's just kind of a feeder club almost. Um, and Austria or Germany or headquarters, wherever you want to put it, um, isn't that interested in spending? And they think they can get good results without doing so. Um, and to be fair, they have. So I guess you can't argue with that too much, but what they have on tap now is, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make the grade. I don't think so. I think they need to change something. Um, and they certainly need to do something to draw in more fans to that building because it's a beautiful building and this market kind of deserves a team with a real fan base. Um, so we'll see, but that's, that's my take on, on the Red Bulls. Um, I think that's all the questions that I wanted to get to. Is there anything else you need to uh, launch off your chest, Paul? Nope. Uh, I, I will say I, I, a good friend of mine, former colleague, when I was at the, the Washington Post, he was covering Loudoun County High School Sports along with me. Uh, Dan Sousa submitted a question, so I'm going to give a quick answer to that. Okay. He, right. he asked about the uh, digitally imposed mega screens with fans at home. Is it the most annoying thing in sports broadcasting since Joe Buck? Wow. Hot shot of Joe Buck. <laughs> yeah, big shot of Joe Buck. Uh, I will say I'm surprised at how little it's bothered me um, during the broadcast. I just really haven't been bugged by – I wasn't bugged by the enormous Adidas logo either. The um, bit, when it was really big, it, it bugged me a little bit. I won't lie. I just but I just – I don't know. I mean, I, I was I, more bugged at this by point, some of the soccer. I think I've watched 34 of the 36 games um, in the last 15 or 16 days, whatever it's been. 
I don't even see the ads anymore. Yeah, I don't either. That's the thing. I, I agree. Like, I mean, I maybe I it must be just because we're just watching constantly, and typically, like half the time, I'm trying to watch and write and you know take care of your child. See, take care. Yeah, <laughs> I get Jane to sleep before she has to see any of the MLS's back tournament. She did. She did unfortunately get subjected to a few of the morning games. I'm not gonna lie, but. You know, I answer text messages from you, whatever you're ranting about on the day. Um, so I've I've been able to avoid the ads for the most part, Dan. I only rant on the phone. That's true. Tell the truth. Occasional. You make jokes. You, you you make jokes on text. You don't like okay. texting, but you do. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I think that's as good of a place to sign off as any. Thank you for sticking with us through this long episode of Allocation Disorder. Um, we hope that you enjoyed the group stage. It was weird. It, it was fun. It was stupid. It was MLS from Concentrate. Um, very potent mixture. We'll see how the knockout round goes. Hopefully, hopefully it's as entertaining. Um, anyway, until next time, I am Sam. He is Paul. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>